I think that pathologist is the most important person who gives a diagnosis initially for the patient and the patient receives that cancer diagnosis. And then only then they can see all these other doctors that are included in the brochure. And if the pathologist did not correctly diagnose from the get-go in the beginning, this person will not be treated at all appropriately. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strink. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. In the past, we've talked about how medical students often are not aware of the field of pathology. But an even bigger problem is that patients often don't know what a pathologist is and what a pathologist does. My guest today is Dr. Sophia Apple. Dr. Apple is a breast pathologist and a professor of pathology, and she's also an author. Her latest book is about pathologists and breast cancer, with the aim of educating patients about the role of the pathologist in their diagnosis. All right, here's Dr. Sophia Apple. We're mostly going to be talking about your new book, which is called Who Says You Have Breast Cancer? The Unseen Doctors, Pathologists Who Determine the Name of a Patient's Illness, which, first of all, I love the title of this book. Thank you. So this is your third book. How did you get interested in becoming a writer? Actually, when I was younger, um, there were three career tracks that I was very interested. One is to be a physician, and then number two is a pianist. And number three, which I thought I could never achieve, is a writer. Okay. And like, where did, where did that interest come from? I'm not sure, but I wanted to record you know, what I'm thinking and in writing. And I always inspire a very good writer, and I wonder how they became a writer. So what I did to begin to write is um, write a journal for about 20 years and uh, jot down my thoughts and my, um, you know, um, whatever that I see, I described it and then began to write uh, when I have a semi-retirement, so I have more time to write. So um, I began to write about approximately two years ago when COVID hit. And, and now you also said you had an interest in being a, a pianist. Do you play piano? Yes, I try to play piano. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, um, like I play a little bit of guitar and I found that quite a few people in the pathology field do something in kind of the, the fine arts, whether it be an instrument or you know, drawing, painting, things like that. So that's interesting. Yeah. I also play guitar and I enjoy playing both piano and guitar too. Oh, okay. I like it. Now, all right. So getting back to the books, you, like we said, this is your third book. And the first two books were novels, although, although based on real events. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about th those two books to begin with, actually? Sure. So I wanted to write about, um, actually, I write about God meeting medicine. So medical doctors are notoriously non-believer uh, of God and they're agnostic or um, anti-God. <laughs> but I believe in God. So I was um, very interested in introducing that concept, medicine meeting God. So the first book I wrote was um, COVID-19, 
This is based on the true story event, but the it's a, f- a fiction book where the pathologist resident, who is a third-year resident, female resident, is uh, living in New York and facing pandemic for the first time. So that dark period of time when she was a pathologist resident, going through autopsy with COVID-infected patients who died. So the fear of uh, doing an autopsy and all that involving complex environment and the life of the pathologist resident is, you know, written about um, in that book. Yeah, the second book is Forgive to Live. So, you know, as we age, um, I don't know about you, Dennis, but we have a hardship in our heart and some unforgiving moments in medicine, um, particularly women facing a leadership in the, in the medicine. So I still feel that um, most men are in the leadership at this point. And many of the women are unrecognized for their leadership. And if they try to be a leader, they have a lot of um, complex uh, consequences. So I write about that, being a woman and a leader. And the um, that book also has a, a, um, a little girl, 15-year-old girl who dies because a pathologist did not diagnose correctly. At the first time, so the patient dies and that her parents are very uh, rich Beverly Hill lawyers. So they sue the, do- the doctor and, the, you know, the medical malpractice, the complication of that and the feeling of failure in the midst of being a leader um, and, and having a tough time. Those are written in that book. So... To me, um, it was interesting that the amount of suffering the per- person goes through as a female physician and um, the forgiveness that needs to be done in order to live forward is um, the basic concept of that second book called Forgive to Live. Okay. It sounds like like there's it's important for you to have a strong message in your writing. Would you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that. And and that's true actually with with the new book as well. So the, the first two books being novels, why was this the right time then to write a nonfiction book? Yeah, so I do wanted to write who I am as a a real person. And in novel format, you can be more honest, in, interestingly more honest. Uh, because you don't have to protect somebody that you love or you don't have to protect yourself, stating st- things that you want to say but couldn't say. So in a novel format, it's much more, it gives a much more freedom to write your true thoughts. So I wrote two books in a novel format. But uh, Who Says You Have a Breast Cancer book is about who is a pathologist and who we are as a professional people and why we need to be recognized. Uh, pathology is a most critical and important doctor in the um, cancer patient or any patients in, in that manner. So I wanted to introduce who we are to the public. Okay. I, I, I love that idea. I mean, that's 
most of the reason why I do this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm glad so, you're doing that. Thank you. Uh, so let's kind of go back to the beginning of of this new book. Like, how did you come up with the idea to do this? And then how did you develop that as you went along? So I wanted to write about uh, the life of pathologists and who we are as an entity long time ago, approximately 20 years ago. So I collected all this uh, vignettes and experiences as I go along. And I thought that pathology um, profession is, you know, approximately 130 years or 150 years. And somebody had to, ought to write about who we are. But when I was researching it, I find that no book um, of such exists. So that really surprised me. That's why I wanted to write about this book. And why breast cancer is because I'm a breast pathologist at major university setting. And I practiced being a breast pathologist for a long time. And um, I don't know about, uh, you know this, Dennis, but uh, women have a lot of dramas. <laughs> so the interesting stories are, were there. And I wanted to write about the patients who had breast cancers the pathologist who diagnosed breast cancer and the breast oncology and breast surgical oncologist, their lives and why we are in, in a rather stressful um, environment uh, rather than other cancer patients who seems to have more calmness about it. So this breast cancer awareness is rampant everywhere. And somehow that um, environment encourages us to be a lot more um, in touch with our heart. So I wanted to write about breast cancer. Now, you mentioned that you're a breast pathologist. So let's look at let's look at that. Talk about that for a minute. How did you become interested in breast pathology? Well, and actually, pathology in general? Okay, so pathologists in general, um, I didn't even know that pathologists are the doctors, uh, medical doctors. So when I went to medical school, um, yep. I had an understanding that I'm going to be either pediatrician or uh, rehabilitation medicine because I have polio myself. So I have a immobility and leg problems. So I wanted to do something that I can relate to. And my heart was um, going toward physical medicine as a profession. But at the uh, end of second year or beginning of second year, the pathologist came to lecture for one year. And the most pathologists knew medicine so well. And there were uh, many of them were uh, walking encyclopedia in medicine. And I thought, this is really interesting and the core part of the medicine. So I was very attracted to pathology, but I didn't know what they exactly do in their profession. So I took several courses during fourth and third year of my medical school year, anatomic pathology, clinical pathology, and follow them uh, what they exactly do. And that's how I found out about pathology. The breast pathology is when I was in, in UCLA in ni- early 1990s, there was a Susan Love. I don't know if you know this surgeon, but uh, Susan Love is a 
incredibly famous breast surgeon who was practicing there when I was a resident. So I looked at her life and the patients were lined up to just see her. And we had a tumor board Wednesdays and Fridays and tumor board included um, multidisciplinary activities where all the physicians of a subspecialty come to look at this patient's care. And there were lines of a woman who wanted to see Susan Love, and she wrote the book, uh, Breast Cancer Book. So they bought the book and lined up just to get her signature. And I thought um, that breast pathology must be interesting. <laughs> so I studied that, and I found out that breast pathology is, is indeed incredibly interesting. And being a woman, I can relate to having a woman issues, uh, GYN and breast pathology. So I became breast and GYN pathologist. Yeah, that's interesting how kind of an encounter with, you know, some person, some influential person sometimes is, uh, helps just kind of steer your, you know, the rest of your career life, the rest of, rest of your life, really. Yes. Now you, you write in the book because Part of the book is kind of your own story. And you write in there that you wanted to be a doctor since you were five years old. Yes. And I'm curious about this because when I was five years old, you know, all I wanted to do was play with Lego bricks. <laughs> so how did you become in inspired to be a doctor at five years old? Yeah, I don't know why I became interested in becoming a doctor and decided to be one at age five. But I do know that um, because of my mobility issue, I had polio at age two. I noticed that I couldn't move around and play with other kids and with my siblings. So when they were gone to play, I stayed in the book and was curious about living things such as a frog. So my brother caught this big frog and I wanted to know how the inside looked like. So at age seven, I dissected the frog without any anesthesia. I, did, I was not conscious. They felt pain at that age. So I looked at the inside. I uh, cut the skin with a scissor and I looked at the heart pumping and intestine and all that. And I thought very, those are very interesting things. <laughs> And I didn't know how it worked, uh, all the body parts and the function of the organs. So I definitely was very curious about internal side of uh, any living things. So that's why I knew I, I wanted to be a doctor. During, you know, during the, that time when you were five or I guess seven, and then so you actually started medical school. I mean, did did you have that that? singular goal the whole time or did you ever sort of waver from that i did not waver because i knew i'm curious about how human being works from the inside point of view how the organ works it was very hard to get into medical school so i had to go to torturous ways to get into medical school and my parents were not doctors so we had no connections and i was immigrating from Korea originally, and I lived in Japan for a while. So I didn't even speak English uh, when I came to United States at age 13. 
because I didn't have any connections and nobody was a doctors around me, it was very difficult to get into school. So I had to go into graduate school, work for five years as a scientist and the laboratory technician in a research laboratory, and then finally got into medical school in Ohio. Okay, I, I like it. That that's a very inspiring story. So the book the book then seems to have several goals, and one, and I think you mentioned this already, is to explain what a pathologist does. Mm-hmm. And you use the term the unseen doctor, which I love. Can you tell me about what, what does that term mean to you? So I noticed when I was was working like a, at the university setting, the pathologist is not seen at all to patients and no one knows about pathologists. So in my um, institution, there were multidisciplinary um, doctors and the booklet even shows oncology surgeons, radiation oncologists, these medical oncologist, radiology, um, and all the other doctors are included in the brochure except pathologist. And I was wondering, why is pathologist not promoting themselves or included in the even brochure of a breast cancer center? So I think that pathologist is the most important person who gives a diagnosis initially for the patient, and the patient receives that cancer diagnosis, and then, only then, they can see all these other doctors that are included in the brochure. And if the pathologist did not correctly diagnose from the get-go in the beginning, this person will not be treated at all appropriately. So I really wanted to introduce a pathologist as a profession, how important that is, and Unfortunately, they are behind the curtain and unseen from the patient's point of view. I thought that unseen doctor uh, pathologist is an appropriate terms that we can define who we are, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Now, in addition to kind of letting the general public know what a pathologist is and what a pathologist does, there's also part of the book you're trying to educate other doctors and there's a chapter called How to Be an Effective Clinician Who Works with Pathologists. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk a lot in this chapter about effective communication between pathologists and other clinicians. So can you can you talk about why, why effective communication is so important, especially uh, when discussing a cancer diagnosis? Yes. I think... From my experience, the doctors do not talk very well. Um, I don't know why, but um, they don't fill out the requisition form well. They don't communicate to the other doctors what they're concerned about. And um, I'm not sure if that's because the surgeons are too busy and surgeons are mostly male and they don't talk. Um, I'm not sure, but... What it is that is what I feel like is guess what I'm thinking. And I get the specimen without any history. Um, I get a, you know, brain frozen section in the middle of night without any information. What kind of cancer did this person have? So without that history, you're really guessing. Guess what I'm thinking is what I feel. 
So the communication is incredibly important to serve our patient well. If we don't communicate, then, you know, a garbage in, garbage out. Um, sometimes that happens. So, for instance, during the um, intercom and surgical pathology time, when you're doing frozen section, some people do not go into the OR pathologists and the surgeons do not come to the pathologist to discuss the case. And I feel that this discussion and face-to-face -face time is critical at some time to serve the patient the best. So how to effectively communicate about the patient, who is the patient, what patient had previously, what kind of problems or lymphoma or uh, carcinoma that they had before, and what are their differential, what is the radiologist differential. All these are critically important information for the pathologist to have a, the best diagnosis. Yep, I agree with that. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Sophia Apple. We'll be right back. In December, LabVine is hosting the Laboratory Management in Practice virtual event. This is a five-day event that runs from December 5th through December 9th. This program provides the learner with knowledge and understanding of the fundamental management skills, behavior, and attitudes required to manage and lead laboratory teams toward achieving goals. You can use the link in the show notes to head over to LabVine to learn more and sign up today. Whether you're working hard at the grossing bench, the autopsy table, behind a microscope, or any other area of the medical laboratory, there's one thing that we all need. Comfortable scrubs. The scrubs that I wear come from Dressamed. This is a company in California, and they've been making high-quality scrubs since 1980. They have a variety of styles and colors to choose from. As a matter of fact, I just ordered a set of the new soft stretch scrubs, so I'm looking forward to trying those out. You can check out Dressamed by following the link in the show notes. Make sure you sign up for their loyalty program, where every order will earn you points towards special offers and discounts. Now back to Dr. Sophia Apple on the People of Pathology podcast. So some of the listeners of this podcast are medical students and pathology residents. Would you have any advice for them as far as ways to become an effective communicator? Yes, don't be shy. Ask questions. Inform the other doctors what you think. And um, the residents and medical students are an important part of the medical career and medical team. So they often feel that they are um, not important or not significant, but that's not true. And curiosity and in terms of getting education yourself, try to be assertive, um, not aggressive, but assertive and inform the other doctors what you know in a very appropriate time and be succinct. Um, don't talk sentences after sentences because we don't have time but try to be succinct and um, information should be given to a, an appropriate time and appropriate person that's great advice i mean i think we've all got if we really think about it stories about times where there was a miscommunication and in fact you you i think you give a couple examples of the book about that too so those are important lessons thank you a large part of the book is advice for patients, which I found very interesting, actually. And you discuss the pathology report. 
you go through the staging and even, you know, how to get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Why, why did you feel it was important to include things like that? So I worked at a large academic institution where patient found me and uh, they phoned telephoned me or they sometimes came to my office and saw me. And through that experience, I recognized how important it is to educate patients through pathologists because um, um, sometimes even surgeons and oncologists may not have time or patients or knowledge to answer appropriate questions to the patients. So it may not occur all the time, but sometimes um, I've seen some of the very educated patients asking me, what does this mean? What is the grade means? And all kinds of questions. I, and, and it was such a pleasure to answer those questions. And at one point, I was showing this slide and through microscope, and she saw her own cancer cells, how they appear and what they look like. And they have no idea what they, their cancer cells look like. And it empowered them to know what their enemies actually look like. It's a visual pattern of structures they saw. And they were imagining this abstract, what cancer looks like. And now they saw it. So that visual image was very important to pathway to curing herself because she was fighting with that image that was seen through the microscope. So I think that opportunity to meet patients in particular time to help them to understand their disease and visually see the cancer cell is important aspect of what pathologists can do. Yeah, it seems to be these these days it's becoming more popular for pathologists to see patients kind of face-to-face and to have that experience like you just described. And it sounds like you enjoy that aspect. Is that is that correct? I do enjoy the aspect, but um, I wish that there is a system where you can charge the patient, just like when you go see your, your family doctors, you don't go there for free so that we will be uh, compensated for our professional levels and there will be an opportunity in the future to see the patient in a professional manner. Okay, that, that makes sense. And I have heard, I, I don't know if this, this is true, but it seems like some people kind of choose pathology maybe because they don't really enjoy the patient contact as much. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've seen so many but- friends of mine they come through the back door and they leave through the back door and they're, um, <laughs> most of the pathologists are, um, introverts and I myself is an introvert too. But when I have a subject to talk about and my education background and profession is about pathology, I don't mind showing that to the patient so that it would be helpful to the patient. Okay. I like that. That makes sense. And it seems to be, especially with more. I guess, newer pathologists, that type of patient interaction is becoming more important to them, I think. Yes, I hope so. So I I wanted to talk a little bit about, because you're a professor of pathology also, and how did you become interested in teaching? So, you know, we, we go through medical school and we have teachers, instructors who are informing us. And I saw how important it is to have a great teacher's 
and they can be influencing your life forever. And through the residency program, um, my attendings who taught me, their voice is always with me. And it's always behind my brain. And if I want to be sloppy, I can tell the such and such a doctor told me, be thorough, be clear in your report, be succinct. And all these voices is always with me. So I recognize that teacher is the most important part of a medical education. And it isn't, isn't it funny that a person is the one who influences you to be a pathologist and the per- it's the people who are influencing other people, not the books and not the, your experiences, but person is so important. So I recognize that teaching is a part of um, things that we must do well and um, recognize that every medical students and every residents are important for the future so we can get older and the profession um, professors move away and um, they can die. But this career has to be surviving through our teaching generation after generation with high quality and teaching has to be there. Would you say that the aspect of having that being able to influence students like that, is that for you the most rewarding part of teaching? Yes, I had many medical students, residents, and fellows in my life, in my career. And when they come in the first year, uh, they don't even know what neutrophils or plasma cells or red cell look like. And then when they graduate after four or five years, they can diagnose plasma cell leukemia and breast cancer. And it's that Within four to five years, they grow so much. And you don't know how they grow, but they did grow. And it's very rewarding to see that you have some influences of teaching them how to be a good pathologist and how to be a good human being even. So there's a philosophy discussed during the sign-out time. There is an education going on during sign-out time. There's a laughters and cries of our life experiences that share through that moment. And I think that's the most rewarding part of a teaching. Are there any particular students or residents that stand out, a story that maybe you could tell? Yeah. So I had this um, surgeon who was a surgical resident for two years in another UC center and he came to me because his mother was a, befriended with me um, through church activities. And he was a surgeon and was very depressed being a surgeon. So he was going to quit even residency. And he stayed in some research for two years. So he was kind of lost in what to do. And he didn't want to be a surgeon anymore. He was uh, very depressed, and um, his mother told me to see me a pathologist, and he didn't even consider what pathologist uh, as a career, and he didn't even know exactly what they do. So I took him in and, in, you know, saw him, talked to him, and I said, try pathology because you're an introvert, highly intelligent, and insightful. You're not a surgeon, so your personality doesn't fit. But 
Your personality fits very well with the pathologist. He is very inquisitive, extremely intelligent. So I knew if he had a visual talent, it would be a perfect match. So he became a pathologist now and he's um, studied hematopathologist and got a job. Um, and I even introduced another resident in my institution and they got married. So not only I introduced the pathology as a career, but I introduced um, his wife. Oh, that's amazing. You really had an impact on his life, like overall. Yeah, they now have two daughters, beautiful daughters. Oh, wow. That's great. That's great. And and you, you brought up something uh, something else you said about having the personality for pathology, or I guess for any medical specialty, but especially for pathology. I think that's important to to have the kind of the personality that fits into the field that you choose. You know what I mean? Yes. One more thing from the book. So you mentioned in there that pathology is not a well-known specialty, partly because pathologists do not promote themselves well. Now, we know that's true, that pathology is not a well-known specialty, but what what can we do to change that? You know, I'm concerned about this because a lot of medical schools are changing the curriculum. So the way that I saw pathology as a career is I saw pathologists lecturing second year, but many of the medical school cur- curriculum is now changed to organ system or patient-oriented education. So they don't go through anatomy, physiology, pathology, none of that. So pathologists will not have an opportunity to even attend the medical school education as a pathologist. So I'm very concerned that more and more pathologists will not be visible during the medical school year. And therefore, the medical student will not see and get exposed to what the pathologists do. So we need to do better job at really exposing ourselves, letting other people know how we, what we do and able to promote ourselves, what we do. And I don't have um, good ideas, but I really wanted to have pathologists come together to talk about and discuss this matter because it's shortly after um, all these medical school changes to organ system-based education, our pathology career will be diminishing. So I'm really concerned about that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I've heard that same or, or similar story from many of the pathologists that I've talked to on this podcast, that that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just in this country. I mean, really worldwide, there's a, there's a shortage of pathologists all over the, all over the world. Yeah. So if we don't have a good pathologist or we don't have enough pathologists, then the diagnosis will be delayed. And we, we don't have a skill set to have this career um, enhanced. So patient will suffer. See, and that's, that's the most important point, I think. The patients would suffer from a shortage of pathologists. And like, I feel like that alone is enough of a reason to you know, have, have pathology more promoted in medical schools. Mm-hmm. Now, now, we mentioned, all right, so this is your, th- your third book. So I'm curious if you have any more uh, books, you know, planned for the future or or other projects, I guess. 
I do. Um, in fact, I finished writing the fourth book, and it's going to be called Dare to Love. And it is introducing the life of a handicapped person and um, what they go through and what they feel. If you know, um, many articles have written about the handicapped people. Most doctors do not want handicapped people to be their patients. People have a bias against the handicapped people. And um, we're not welcome in many places, um, silently and sometimes verbally. So I wanted to introduce what handicapped person feels and have a difficulties with in living a daily lives. They don't discuss that, um, and you don't have opportunity to really understand how, what they go through, and people do not even want to know about them. But I have an um, obligation to introduce uh, what the handicapped person feels like in this life, how unwelcome they are. And but there are some of them are highly intelligent and they do feel this. And I wanted to introduce that component of life. So I wrote about that book and it will be published hopefully next year. Um, another book that I'm going to write about is uh, because I'm a pathologist, I'm very attracted to the process of death. So I want to discuss about death and near death experiences and what would be heaven like? And that is coming up. I'm writing, in fact, I wrote the first chapter today. Regarding the pathology book, I wanted to also write who told you you have a prostate cancer as a next project. So I'm going to hook up with another prosthetic GU pathologist and hopefully write that story. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. If that was going to become like a series. Um, and it, it sounds like at least there'll be one more. Any plans for more after that? Well, if um, I can gather influential colorectal cancer pathologists or brain pathologists, mm-hmm. it, will, it can continue as a series. Okay. I like that. I think that would be especially helpful for, for patients and and just you know the pathology field in general just promoting pathology as much as we possibly can so that's that's great i love that yeah and these books um the book about who told you you have a breast cancer is not just a dry content it has many personal vignettes and uh, personal stories that i think it would be interesting to read how doctors actually think yeah absolutely in the uh, show notes for this episode, I will include a link for, for people to, to buy the book. And I, it's, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, I hope you really did enjoy the book. And I really thank you for introducing what is the pathology as a career and a pathologist as a human being. And I really thank you for doing this podcast, promoting pathology. Oh, that's that's nice to hear. Thank you very much. It, it was really great to talk to you today. I enjoyed uh, getting to know more of your story and, and talking about your book. Dr. Sophia Apple, thank you so much. Thank you. You're about to hear a trailer from one of my all-time favorite episodes. This goes all the way back to my first conversation with Dr. Judy Melanick and TJ Mitchell about their book, Working Stiff, and their first novel, First Cut. Here's a quick bite. 
but also has to do with the fact that I love the field of forensic pathology and we have a serious shortage of forensic pathologists in the United States right now, actually nationwide yes. and even internationally. Um, for the past few years, I've had a Google alert for the words forensic pathologist and medical examiner. And I get uh, daily alerts that make me aware of the fact that in Zimbabwe right now, they only have three forensic pathologists and there's a backlog of cases. In Guam, they haven't been able to fulfill the position of chief forensic pathologist for over a year. Uh, this is seriously a problem. And if by wow. writing books about the field, whether fiction or nonfiction, we can draw more people into it and make them aware of how exciting and fascinating a profession it is, then I feel like I've done my duty. To hear the rest of this conversation, check out episode number four. All right, great big thanks to Dr. Sophia Apple. Now, Dr. Apple donates all the profits from her book sales to those in need of a wheelchair through an organization called Johnny and Friends, and also to those who lack access to food through the Valley Food Bank. Also, you can go to her website to find out more information about her and about her books. And she's written a number of articles on a variety of different topics, and you can find those on her website as well. And if you do buy the book, make sure you write a review for it so that other people can find out about it and we can educate even more people about the unseen doctors. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything that we talked about today. Don't forget you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People of Path, or you can just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.